Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better. This is episode number 46, Thursday, May 23rd, 2019. And ladies and gentlemen, I have charged up. The Illinois legislative session ends next Friday, and as far as sports betting legislation goes, information is coming out of the woodwork that Illinois, my home state here, is surprise, surprise, completely messing this up. Neighboring states, Iowa and Indiana, just passed very reasonable sports betting bills, but as is typical, Illinois has too many hands in the cookie jar, and now I am worried that they're going to rush this and uh, rush a bill through that is terrible for the state in both the short and long term. We're at a critical time here in Illinois, and in this episode, I'm going to start out with some quick hitters, and then I'll go into my rant on the state of sports betting legislation here in Illinois. Uh, let you all know where we're at there and where things appear to be going within the next week or so. So let's start out with those quick hitters. Congratulations to Brooks Kepka. I'm winning the PGA Championship at Bethpage Black in Long Island last weekend. Now he has four of the past eight majors, and the Westgate Superbook in Vegas put up a prop yesterday on Kepka over under 7.5 major wins by his 50th birthday in 2040. The over is at plus 130, and the under is at around minus 150. So I don't know who in their right mind would really want to bet the no, because they'll have to wait for over 20 years to collect. You have to wonder if they're better off putting their money in an interest-bearing account by that point. But uh, if you bet the yes and he wins four more, you will be paid out the moment he wins his eighth major. One better already placed a sizable bet. According to Todd Dewey on Twitter, one better placed a five-dime bet on the yes, uh, over seven and a half majors at plus 130, to win 6500 bucks. So 5K wins 6500 bucks. Could be another guy going through a nasty divorce and trying to hide money from his soon-to-be ex-wife. But I heard an interesting idea from Mitch Moss over at Visa and Follow the Money. He thinks it's a good idea to give no tickets to people as birthday or graduation gifts or what have you, even over the holidays or something like that. So could be a good idea if you want to make a bet if you're in Vegas and you want to go over the Westgate and you want a little gag gift and a card uh, over the holidays or something like that. That's a good bet to, to give someone. Jeopardy! James is back in action after a two-week hiatus for the Jeopardy! Teachers competition. He went right back at it with um, consecutive wins to start this week out, and he's poised to pass the $2 million mark in overall winnings, possibly even later today. A new book called The Logic of Sports Betting dropped this week. It was written by Ed Miller and Matthew Davido. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Uh, but Miller is a history of writing educational poker books, and these two actually... I've heard they do a lot of in-game modeling together. It looks like their book is a lot more than a sports betting 101 book. I listened to an interview with them uh, earlier today, actually, and they were both concerned with a lot of the misinformation out there at this critical time in the sports betting space. So they, they took it on themselves to kind of lay things out logically and uh, lay things out for beginning bettors regarding betting fundamentals and tips to find success. They talk a lot of Talk a lot about the concept of market makers versus retail shops, price discovery, the math when doing teasers, and other concepts that, in my opinion, will serve you well if you're looking to make bets in the legalized landscape at any point in time for the remainder of your life, which I'm sure all of my listeners are trying to do. So I've already ordered my copy. Can't wait to read it. And for anyone who's interested in learning more about the sports betting space and becoming more educated on how to bet, um, you should seriously check this book out. Again, it's called... The Logic of Sports Betting, written by Ed Miller and Matthew Davido. The Stanley Cup final is set. The Boston Bruins and the St. Louis Blues. 
Market consensus is the Bruins at around minus 160 as series favorites. The Blues around plus 135 on the take back. Some books uh, already have a, li- a lot of liability on the Blues. Uh, they actually have the worst record in the NHL in January, so a lot of small lotto type tickets on them at around 250 to 1 or 300 to 1. Uh, there's a story that just came out of one guy who, I guess he's a local St. Louis guy, but he has a $400 ticket on the Blues at 250 to 1. I guess he had 500 bucks in his pocket. He was leaving Vegas. He, was, he wasn't there to actually gamble, and he figured he would have lost $500 if he did gamble in Vegas. I don't know if he was there on like a conference or something like that, but so he made like a $100 bet on, I think, the Cardinals to win the World Series and then $400 bet on the Blues at 250 to 1, which wins him $100,000. Um, and apparently he was just offered $40,000 for the ticket on prop swap, and he, he declined it. He made this bet back in January in Vegas. And uh, apparently now he's not looking to hedge at all, which is very interesting. It would really suck to be that close and kind of get out of it with no money. So it's going to be interesting to see what that guy does. If I'm him, I'm definitely, especially since it's, it appears to be life-changing money for the guy, I would want to luck in some sort of profit. At least guarantee yourself like 20K, you know, like, 20k 70k split like there's creative ways of going about that but it's also really difficult obviously to hedge when you're talking about that type of money but um it'll be interesting to see what he does and i'm sure he'll be uh, covered by the mainstream media now a little interesting nugget for the last six stanley cup finals the team that has more time off going into the final has lost so the team with less rest less rest has uh lost or sorry has won let me say that again the team with less rest has won six in a row so something to keep in mind here. Boston is obviously on more rest. They're going to be off for 10 days, and St. Louis is going to be off for six days, it looks like, before game one of the cup final begins. I can't help but think that there might be some value taking a little piece of the Blues in game one, and I'm sure that guy with that uh, that crazy lotto ticket wants them to win game one as well. Um, and quickly, some other cool actionable, sorry, non-actionable trivia information for you. This is the 11th time that Boston and St. Louis major sports teams are squaring off in a title game. Boston and St. Louis are the only two cities that have faced off against each other in the championship in all four major U.S. sports. And that didn't even change this year, though. They actually met in the 1970 Stanley Cup final, so it's not like that's something new this year. And if you're thinking, well, what about you know St. Louis? They don't have an NBA team. Actually, the Atlanta Hawks used to be the St. Louis Hawks, and the St. Louis Hawks, I looked this up, faced the Boston Celtics in the 1958 and 1961 NBA Finals. Speaking of the NBA, congrats to the Warriors for making their fifth consecutive NBA Finals appearance, sweeping the Blazers in four games, even though the Blazers actually had the lead for over 51% of the time in the entire series, which is kind of nuts. I won't get into my gripe with the two-faced NBA crying for integrity when they won't even allow the release of information related to Damian Lillard's injury or require release of that information or even LeBron's broken hand last year in the finals after game one. Uh, but the Warriors, they will have a lot of time off before the finals begin midweek next week. And they're still waiting to see who their opponent is, though. Drake and the Toronto Raptors tied the Eastern Conference Finals series 2-2 two to two last night, or sorry, two nights ago. And the pivotal, pivotal game five is tonight. Uh, obviously between the Bucks and the Raptors. Uh, when they were up 2-0, to zero, the Bucks were heavy favorites on the series line, getting up to around uh, minus 700 at some spots. Uh, the current series price is close to where it started, around minus 275 on the Bucks and plus 240 on the Raptors. It's going to be very interesting to see where this series goes, but obviously now it's just a three-game series uh, with one in Milwaukee tonight and then two nights from now 
Game six is in Toronto. So tonight the Bucks are seven point favorites. The total has dropped out at two sixteen as I record this. I make sure I saw two fifteen and a half somewhere now. Um, but I think it's good to do a, a little exercise here when looking at the ATS lines for this series. So going back, game one, the Bucks were six and a half point favorites. Obviously, the Raptors were up most of that game, and if you had a ticket on the Raptors at plus six and a half, or I even saw it plus seven at some places, I really feel for you because they were covering the entire game until the final 28 seconds, and the Bucks obviously won the game by eight, which was fucking crazy if you're laying or if you're taking the points with the Raptors in that one. So that was game one. Game two, the Bucks were laying around minus seven as well. Obviously, they wanted a blowout. Game three, the Raptors were laying two, two and a half, and obviously that was the big zigzag spot when you look at. The trends, teams down 0-2 when returning home for that Game 3. Um, obviously, the numbers reflect this now because the market's smart. They're onto this. But when you look at, at previous historical trends, that's a great spot to bet on that home team there, especially in the first half. And uh, that game obviously could have went either way as well. It went to double overtime. So in market, er, sorry, in Game 4, the market was clearly different. The, the Bucks closed minus 3. And looking back at it, there was clear line value on the Raptors catching 3 at home. And it, it just in game four, and I, I did have a ticket on the Raptors in that situation, not because I'm hedging. I, I have the Bucks 10 to 1 to win the East uh, for a pretty uh, decent sized bet. And I thought that game four on its own, taking the three points with the Raptors was clear value because, and I'm going to do a little exercise here. So the market was clearly pricing in the fact that the Raptors barely escaped game three in two overtimes, and the fact that the Bucks were 20 and 1 this year off a loss. And Obviously, odds makers know this, so they posted it a little lower, and the market drove it back up. The odds makers were already factoring that into their line when they put it out, and the market further pushed it even even more to the point where the Raptors were actually getting three points at home. So, yeah, the Bucks are twenty and one this year off of a loss, but when looking through the lens of this after the fact, the market clearly went too far here. So, let's let's kind of look do a little exercise here to figure out uh, why that was the case. So. Let's do some layering. I've brought this concept up in a previous podcast. Uh, there was a similar spot at a point in time last round when the Raptors were laying around two on the road against the 76ers. I believe it was game four as well. Now, for the sake of argument, let's say that home court is worth the typical three points, even though you can argue that it's a little bit more in the playoffs right now. But let's say it's the typical three points just for just it being easy right now to describe. So at that time, with a two-point line favored on the road, um, the Raptors favored on the road against the 76ers. The market was saying that the Raptors were essentially five points better than the 76ers. Similarly, with the Bucks as three-point road favorites over the Raptors in Game 4 the other day, that was essentially saying that the Bucks were six points better, which would in turn mean in a vacuum the Bucks were 11 points better than the 76ers since they were, they were 70, or sorry, six points better than the Raptors. So six points better than the Raptors. Five points better than the 76ers, 11 points better Bucks than the 76ers, according to that line. And thus, the Bucks would be favored by 11 at a neutral over the 76ers and 14-point favorites over the 76ers at home, according to that. So assuming no injuries and full squads in a vacuum, would the Bucks ever be favored by 14 points or more at home over the 76ers? No, of course not. So just so you know, the 76ers did win that game four over the Raptors as underdogs, and the Raptors got it done in a similar spot, catching the points at home the other night. Um, obviously, there were more factors involved in, uh, in setting that line, like the declining health of Kawhi Leonard. But little exercises like that can help you find betting value in the market, even when you don't make your own numbers. Uh, it'll serve you well in the long run doing those kind of exercises. So there's no way in hell that 
laying the three points of the Bucks on the road in that spot is a winning bet in the long run, just like laying it with the Raptors in the same spot a few weeks ago against the 76ers was just not a good bet. So for Game 5 tonight, the Bucks are seven-point favorites. You can pretty easily say that this is the biggest game in franchise history for both teams. Maybe not the Bucks, but definitely the Raptors. And people forget that the Raptors could have and honestly should have won Game 1. They were leading the entire way. People forget about that. And at the same time, the Bucks could have easily gotten Game 3. And this could be this could have been a 3-0 series heading into the last game. So numbers-wise, if you bet the Bucks minus 3 in Game 4, you're getting a, a lot more line value. I'm betting them at minus 7 at home t- tonight in Game 5. And you have to figure that the Bucks are going to come out heated tonight. There's also the concern with Kawhi Leonard's health. There's clear, clearly something wrong there. And it looks like a good spot for the Bucks to bounce back, but seven points pre-flop is a big number. So for me, I'll be ra- waiting for uh, in-running opportunities in this one and more on live betting in the NBA in a moment. But in terms of the actual X's and O's too, I wanted to get this off my chest, but it's time for the Bucks to sit Bledsoe, in my opinion. At the very least, he should not be starting. This guy is hes great in the regular season, but when the going gets tough, we've learned that he's and for lack of a better term, he's just not a winner. And he thinks he should be taking all these big shots when he definitely shouldn't be. He's, just for reference, I heard a stat earlier today, he's 1-16 in 16 in this series in wide-open shots. And wide-open shot is considered uh, when the nearest defender is 6 feet or more away. He's 1-16 for 16 on those this series. And uh, I think that the Bucks should do what's right, give him less minutes, and start George Hill or Brogdon. I don't care if Bledsoe even goes off tonight, he's a liability for that team moving forward. And if he thinks he should be getting the green light to take those stupid shots, he's even more of a liability. So it'll be interesting to see how the Bucks adjust to how the Raptors have been guarding the Greek freak as well. It's a three-game series now, like I said before. One of these teams will be trying to punch their finals ticket in front of Drake in Toronto on Saturday night. I expect it to be the Bucks, but we'll have to wait till tonight to see. So I mentioned it before, live betting the NBA playoffs, and the NBA in general. As Gil over at Beeson likes to say, if you make all of your bets pre-flop ATS in the NBA, then you are the square one. Live betting, in my opinion, I think it's the way of the future, and if you've not been live betting the NBA playoffs this year in particular, then you've been missing out. As we know, the NBA and basketball in general, it's a game of runs, and you see all these teams, you know, one team will go on an 8-0, 10-0 run, another team will go on a 6-8-0 run, whatever. So, Obviously, that's just always how basketball's been, but the opportunities come up for that come up for live betting in these situations is great in the NBA, especially. So, for example, just the other night, within a span of four real-time minutes, I was able to get a plus price on both the Warriors and the Blazers in Game Four from Portland. And the Warriors, especially, they've been down by double digits many times. Uh, it seems in these playoffs, like as I said earlier, they were losing against the Blazers over 51% of the time in that series that they swept the Blazers in. So feeling the flow of the game and betting them live has made you some good coin if you've been doing it with the Warriors, especially this playoffs. But for me, I'm usually looking to take underdogs when live betting, especially when their opponent goes on a run and the line starts to really move the other way. Um, The natural ebb and flow of basketball games, teams obviously go on runs. So being able to get a nice plus price on a dog during a timeout is often a good way to look. It's obviously very nuanced, and I'm not try, trying to like say to do this blind or anything like that, but for someone who is a good observer and can anticipate the game flow, they can really find some great live betting opportunities in the marketplace, in the NBA especially. So I don't know. I think live betting is such an important topic. I'm going to 
try to bring it more to focus here on the podcast as we approach football season two. Jeopardy James says that live betting is his forte and makes up the vast majority of his actions. So if he's doing it, then you know there's something to it. One last thing, a quick talk on closing line value, CLV. There's been a lot of talk um, that's been coming up recently in the sports betting Twitterverse regarding closing line value, and I think it's good for me to address it right now because it's important. As I've said here since day one, sports betting is a numbers game. Joe's bet teams, pros bet numbers, just like Jimmy Vaccaro, the phrase that he coined many moons ago. But if you're trying to be a pro, then along the lines of betting numbers, it's all about getting closing line value, or CLV. Simply put, the more CLV you get, the more you're going to win in the long run, or the less you're going to lose. So it's all based upon the idea that markets are very efficient, and beating the market is so key to win in sports betting. So obviously one bet on its own in a vacuum, you're more likely to win if you beat the closing line. But if you do that and you put yourself in a spot where you're beating the closing line a lot of times, you're going to put yourself in a great spot to win money. So... I think that's the key. Um, The CLV phrase is starting to get a lot more use now. So whenever you hear me refer to CLV in the future, just know that that's in reference to closing line value. And that CLV, my friends, is what we're always going for. Oh, yeah! All right. I teased at the beginning. As I said, this is a critical moment in time for the future of legalized sports betting in Illinois. Let me go on my little rant. So I've been covering the status of the sports betting legalization process here in the state of Illinois pretty extensively over the past few months. And at the beginning of the year, it looked very promising. Um, Incoming Governor Pritzker called for $217 million in sports betting revenue in fiscal year 2020 for the state budget. Um, Basically, most of that would have been made up of 20 $10 million licenses that were granted to 20 operators for sports betting. So that makes up the bulk of the $217 million, you know, $200 million of it. Um, And then Representative Mike Zalewski is the head of the State Revenue and Finance Committee. He took charge in trying to push a bill through. He filed a shell bill and four amendments to it a few months back. And then curiously, a fifth amendment was filed that had a bad actor clause designed to squeeze out DraftKings and FanDuel. So let's backtrack a bit here. Do you remember all those annoying... Daily Fantasy Sports commercials that DraftKings and FanDuel were running back in 2015. It was like a media blitz, so you definitely saw it uh, if you were watching TV at any point that fall. But basically, both companies spent several million dollars trying to get a leg up on the other one in the market. Not only for Daily Fantasy Sports, but clearly with an eye towards sports betting legalization, which looked imminent in the future. So basically what happened was the two Daily Fantasy Sports giants, they were in a big fight to the market in every state where... DFS was legal, but it wasn't legal in every state, and most states did allow it. Some states outright banned it, and other states operated in a gray area. And Illinois was and is one of those gray area states. But back in 2015, at the same time that DraftKings and FanDuel were doing the media blitz, um, now former Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madigan, she wrote a non-binding advisory memorandum. And in that, she stated that daily fantasy sports clearly constituted gambling and therefore was legal in the state of Illinois. And oftentimes, such you know memorandums like this, they're followed by enforcement and it becomes binding. But in this instance, DraftKings and FanDuel took a bit of a gamble, so to speak, and kept running their businesses in Illinois. Now, FanDuel went as far as to file a suit against the attorney general's office for a declaratory judgment and hoping for a clear yes or no type of clarity 
on the legality of their operation. What happened? Well, in typical Illinois fashion, nothing. The Attorney General didn't pursue any legal action against DraftKings or FanDuel, and the two companies kept operating uh, their DFS market in Illinois, which they continue to do today. Fast forward to now, and this proposed amendment to the Illinois sports betting bill that has the bad actor clause. Basically, uh, there's a lot of arguing and lobbying going on down in Springfield right now, but and that was expected, obviously, but the key rift going on right now involves existing casino entities, and that's led by Rush Street Gaming, who are partial owners of uh, Rivers Casino. They run Rivers Casino uh, just outside of the city. They're trying to get language in the bill that keeps DraftKings and FanDuel out of the market. And now they're trying to do so for a three-year period. So I guess they wanted them out of the market completely, obviously. But now they're, quote-unquote, you know, negotiating and settling on a three-year period um, of keeping those two companies out of the market. And some lawmakers are calling that the penalty box uh, for the two DFS companies. Um, the reasoning being that since DraftKings and FanDuel have been operating illegally in Illinois, which may or may not be true, um, they've been... They've gotten a significant leg up in trying to build a customer base and people who will be ready to wager immediately once sports betting does go live here in Illinois. Illinois casinos and other potential operators view that as a huge competitive disadvantage for them. And let's face it, they're right. FanDuel and DraftKings would immediately own an an estimated 90% market share once Illinois goes live, if they're a part of it. But FanDuel and DraftKings have come out and said that they're not going to back down from this. And they will take this to the courts if they need to. They're more worried about the precedent that this will set for other states that are looking to legalize by giving in even one iota. I think that's a poor move. So they're they're going all in on this. They're not budging at all. And the issue, if this does happen, will be whether or not DraftKings or FanDuel was indeed operating illegally. I would argue on their behalf that the other entities tried to they're trying to squeeze them out. They could have offered mobile wage or sorry mobile DFS for the past three or four years as well. So. According to Daniel Wallach, my professor over at the uh, University of New Hampshire Law School Certificate in Sports Wagering and Integrity Program, the law firm of Jenner and Block released a legal opinion stating that Illinois will face a strong court challenge under both the U.S. and Illinois constitutions from FanDuel and DraftKings if this quote-unquote penalty box clause is included in the Illinois legislation. But this bad actor issue is a huge sticking point right now down in Springfield, And as usual, so many different parties want their hands in the cookie jar. And my big worry right now is that lawmakers' egos are getting in the way. And with this deadline coming up at the end of next week, I'm worried that they're going to try and push through a law uh, by the deadline just to push something through. And what they'll push through is going to be terrible for the state of Illinois, especially in the long term. But that's not even the start of it. Now, Representative Zalewski is pointing to the possibility of getting the Illinois State Lottery involved as well. And all along, since day one of doing this podcast, I've stressed the need for lawmakers to understand how low margin of a business sports betting really is. Like a sports book isn't going to hold much more than 5 to 7% even in a good year. And I think that lawmakers everywhere are grossly overestimating how much money this is all going to bring in. So anything that forces the hand of operators and causes them to make business decisions or take certain steps to comply with regulations and stay afloat is only going to serve to take money away from the state. Like if you think about it, if you have to skim more off of your already small margin to pay more state taxes that might not even be necessary, it's going to force you as an operator to compensate somewhere else, such as offering minus 115 lines instead of minus 110 lines, or cutting out sharper players, or limiting betting sizes. 
So as a result, that is just going to drive more action to the black market and offshore. Like I've said, I ain't laying no above minus 110. I'm laying minus 110 or less, and I'll drive to Horseshoe if I have to. Street corner bookies, I think, are, and especially guys that offer credit accounts, they're probably licking their chops right now over what they're hearing out of Springfield right now. So there's that. But perhaps the biggest issue that Illinois lawmakers look like they're fucking up, in my opinion, and we have Tennessee to thank for this, it's an official mandate to use official league data to settle in-game bets. Um, now, right now, all states that have legalized sports betting have said no to this. The leagues have been trying to lobby for this since day one, since Paspo's overturn last year. Nevada's been doing this for decades. They've never went in bed with the leagues at all in any way, shape, or form. The leagues came crawling to them. Nevada told them to pound sand. New Jersey told them to pound sand. All the other states that have legalized so far up until Tennessee, have told them to pound sand. But what happened in Tennessee recently? They have a bill that's about to go through that only allows mobile wagering, and they are mandating a, an integrity fee or royalty fee, whatever you want to call it, to the, to the leagues for official use of the official league data. Now, Illinois, of course, is looking to do that as well, and Rep. Zalewski was quoted as uh, saying that the Tennessee law Um, kind of provided the blueprint for Illinois on this issue. I cannot even begin to describe to you how fucking stupid that is. So anything that that caves to the leagues is just bad news because that's another fee that sports books are going to have to pay out of their already small margins and force them to make other choices that it's going to affect the overall handle and hold and, in short, is going to lead to less revenue for the state. So I think it's especially important in these early days of sports betting to foster innovation and technological advancements, allow the new operators out there with room to breathe, be competitive, and come up with new creative ways to engage their customers. So don't hamstring them by forcing them to pay an unnecessary royalty fee to the leagues that the leagues have never gotten out of Nevada, never gotten out of New Jersey, or any other state that's legalized up until now with Tennessee. But putting these restrictions on operators, it's only going to serve to draw more action to the black market and allow the offshores to stay afloat and thrive, uh, which is in turn, just like I said before, only going to serve to keep money away from the state, decrease state revenue. And not only that, but it's also going to impact the integrity of the games by keeping action in the black market where it's more difficult, even impossible, to regulate and monitor betting patterns. So if you're trying to keep match fixing you know, away from our sports here in America... If the goal is to keep betting action above board and foster innovation and encourage competition, then Illinois needs to stay the hell away from these integrity fees or royalty fees, whatever you want to call them. So I, I'm really, I feel very strongly about this. Obviously, Illinois needs to allow these operators room to get going and find early success. And caving to the leagues here and forcing a, an integrity fee and use of official league data is just a terrible precedent. And I know that operators everywhere are very much against this, so... Um, it's it's still to be decided if, if Illinois is going to go through with that, but that's my biggest sticking point personally, the bad actor thing. Um, I definitely side with DraftKings and FanDuel on that, although I could see the argument the other way. Obviously, every party's acting in their own self-interest. There's a lot of money that's going to be coming around, even with, the, with the aforementioned small margins, the low-margin business that sports betting is. There's still a lot of money that's going to be involved, so I understand the sides there, but I do not get the royalty fee, and I, I, I just I can't come to terms with that. Uh, allowing the leagues a piece of the action like that. So there was an excellent article written in the Daily Herald a couple of days ago by Barry Rosner that I highly recommend you check out. You could Google it. 
uh, basically echoes everything I've said here, pretty much sums up how most people in the know or actually have a clue are feeling about all this right now. Um, so Illinois lawmakers, please, please understand that sports betting is a low margin business. It is not the big cash cow that you think it is. And for the love of God, look at the states that have been doing this successfully already. Look at Nevada, who's been doing this for decades. Look at New Jersey, who's been having all all the success since last June. Hell, look at the states right next to you, Iowa and Indiana, who have introduced very reasonable sports betting bills earlier this month. Illinois, people are going to drive to Horseshoe this fall to place their bets if you force them to. Please be reasonable. Please don't mess this up. And for anyone listening, I strongly encourage you to reach out to your local lawmakers. This is going to be a hot-button issue uh, in Springfield uh, over the next week. Like I said, the legislative session ends next Friday at the end of the month, May 31st. Um, and I have some actually direct inside info from a VEASAN alum, Sam Paniadovich, who's down there in Springfield right now. Via Twitter message, he said earlier today that he thinks that this is going to get done next Tuesday. And although that is an optimistic viewpoint, it looks like a total 50-50 at this point in time. And that they're going to get something done by, by next Friday when the legislative session ends. But in my opinion, I would much rather them roll out nothing at all instead of rushing just to put something together that's going to hurt legal Illinois sports betting in the long run. And that's all I've got. Rant over. So that'll do it for this episode of the Doggy Juice Podcast. I really appreciate all of you listening. I have some awesome news. It's official. Next week, I'll be bringing on Oliver and Quincy from the Top Class Finish Podcast, Soccer Podcast. I'll be bringing them on here next week for an interview. We're going to talk about the Champions League final between Liverpool and Tottenham Hotspur, about the World Cup coming up next year, the Confederations Cup in soccer coming up this summer, and some other soccer stuff. So definitely tune in for that. Those are some awesome dudes. And uh, as always, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Doggy Juice for more updates and best bets. And I'll be back next week. Talk to you all later. Doggy Juice out.